So there is a good kind of chaos and there is a bad kind of chaos. The good kind of chaos is what we saw this week at Valley Church when 8,282 people over four days were here celebrating the great pumpkin party. We had a blast. It was an incredible bridge to our community and we were able to share and show the love of Jesus to so many people. That's the good kind of chaos. The bad kind of chaos, which I'm always looking out for you, uh, is coming up at, like in a few weeks uh, we, it's a Friday, uh, right after Thanksgiving, Black Friday. Yeah, everybody descends and rushes into these malls and so forth, and it can get really chaotic. Another kind of chaos happens when uh, your uh, pastor, who is, is uh, going to give the message this weekend, comes down sick and turns to the lead pastor and says, hey, what do you think of giving the message this weekend uh, in my place? And we talk about it and pray about it. And I said, the only problem is I'm actually, we, Ruth and I have been planning this trip for a really long time and uh, looking forward to it. And so uh, this is what we ended up with, guys. So I'm coming to you. Show us some grace here. Pray for Brandon to get feeling better. And we're going to dive into the passage that he was going to look at. But it's all about chaos. And so this whole week has been kind of that good chaos, bad chaos. But uh, we're going to have a great time together learning about this is the way in the chaos. Maybe you've had a chaotic week uh, like I have with some good and bad chaos. Maybe you've had, a, like everybody else, a chaotic 19 months uh, maybe your life has just been chaotic for some reason. How do you live as light? As we come to the end of this series, Living as Light, today, how do you live as light in the chaos? And we're going to learn this is the way you live in the chaos. So come back with me to the book of Acts. And uh, this is a record of the early church. And guys, uh, in the book of Acts, the church is on mission. I mean, they are taking the good news of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and his coming again, and they're bringing it to all sorts of people. Now, uh, if you were here last week, well, actually, if you were not here last week, last week why not? No, just kidding. If you weren't here last week, uh, we, we, we looked at, at the incredible happening in the ancient city of Ephesus. The apostle Paul says, did extraordinary miracles there. He kind of took on some of the forces of darkness that were there, and we learned about how to put on the full armor of God and really to excel in, in, in the dark times and never to underestimate what God can actually do. And guys, you responded in a beautiful way to that as literally, see this big uh, stack of cards here? So many people came and said, uh, we want to, to trust in Christ. We want to uh, give this over to God. We want to trust him for this. We want to make new, new roads. And so you're walking in the way of Jesus. And uh, way to go. That was amazing. So, so now we come uh, to, to this next stage of spiritual warfare in the dark city of Ephesus. And uh, it's a dark place. Hey, let me take you to the amphitheater in ancient Ephesus. This is what it looks like. And in today's passage, it all goes down right here. This is a huge amphitheater in the ancient, war in ancient times. It held 25,000 people, one of the largest theaters in all the world. And it all comes down here and through the city of Ephesus. Everybody convenes here and chaos ensues. Yes, it does. Uh, sometimes chaos ensues in your life and mine, sometimes very rapidly. And the question is, how do you respond to that? Uh, and this... Uh, today in, in Acts 19, we're going to see a classic case of the culture going nuts 
while the church keeps its cool. Now, guys, we need more of that. And if you're looking for sanity today, you've come to the right place because you're going to get some fresh encouragement and fresh perspective. This is the way in the chaos. So first principle I want to give to you from Acts 19 as we dive in is this, just count on chaos. It is going to happen. You live in a dark, we live in a dark and, and broken world, and there's going to be chaos just like we've experienced, all right? Look what it says in verse 23. About that time, this is when Paul's uh, taken on the force of darkness in Ephesus, there was a major disturbance about the way. Th th this verse kind of sounds like the beginning of a, a Star Wars movie. It's a great disturbance about the way. Oh, wait till you see what happens here. Uh, because things got turned upside down. It got kind of crazy. My friend Chris Brown, a uh, wonderful pastor, uh, he, says, there's, there, he says there's two words you really need to notice in this verse, and I agree with him, and that is the way. There's a major disturbance about the way. What's the way? What is this all about? What's this major disturbance? What's the way? Well, the way is the name given or taken by the early church, to, one of the names to describe the movement of Jesus, the church, the way. And there's two things you need to notice about the way. First is the first word, the. Write this next to the, to the word the. One and only. Christians were weird and freaky in the uh, ancient world because they believed there's only one and only one God. This was in huge distinction to the rest of the Roman world except for the Jewish folks who believed in many gods and goddesses. Thousands. Yeah, here at Ephesus, they had like uh, a temple to Artemis, Diana, and also to 50 other gods and goddesses. So there's only one God. And notice it says the way. Christians didn't say this was a way or our way or our way better than your way. It's a nicer way, not your way. They said it was the way. Whoa, that's audacious. It's actually the truth. This is the life. This is Jesus, the way. The audacity of the early Christians was what helped them stand out in their day. One historian said of the early Christian movement, it was Christianity's weird stuff that attracted everybody. They had this strict monotheism, only one God. They had incredible generosity and kindness and compassion towards hurting people and towards outcasts. They rejected traditional ideas and cultural ideas about religion. They didn't believe in the gods and goddesses and said they, they said they were not true, they were false. And they had radical ethics in the areas of money, sex, and power. And so it was going against the grain that made people notice them in the midst of all the chaos. So the way. And then the second thing to notice is it's the way. Write down this word, this phrase. It's the way. Direction, not a destination. Christianity, our faith, is not about a collection of ideas or just going to heaven or ending up someplace. It's not the heaven, people. It's the way. A whole different way to approach life. And that's what way they were known for. The way they lived. The way Jesus walked the way they talk to people, the way, a whole new way of life that began here and, of course, did eventuate 
in eternal life. And the way is about how we're going to interact with the chaos that ensues. So, this is good stuff, guys. About this time there arose a great disturbance about the way. Okay, what's going to happen? Listen up. Verse 24. For a person named Demetrius, bum, 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 bum. All right, you with me? Uh, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis. Artemis is the main goddess worshipped in Ephesus. He makes silver shrines. What, what that is, a silver shrine is little statuettes of, of Artemis, little figurines of her uh, 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 statue that existed in the temple, or possibly just miniatures of the giant temple. So, And it says, a person named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. So this guy is like the leader of a whole bunch of silversmiths, and he's bringing them boatloads of money selling these, uh, these statuettes or these little miniature shrines of the Temple of Artemis. And to understand just a little bit more how grandiose and amazing this temple was in the ancient world, one of the seven wonders of the world, check out this video. Here is an awesome recreation of the structure at a park in Istanbul, Turkey. According to Pliny, the Temple of Artemis was situated on a platform about 425 by 239 feet. The temple itself was 352 by 163 feet, with 127 columns that were 60 feet tall and over 6 feet thick. 36 of these columns were sculptured and overlaid with gold. The temple was built northeast of the city on marshy soil to protect the structure from earthquakes. At one time, the waves of the Mediterranean could actually come right up to one side of the temple. All right, so you're getting a little bit of that. You're, you're understanding that. That's incredible. So they got this huge temple, and, and then Artemis, the goddess, Herself, she was the god of the goddess of the hunt, the goddess of fertility, uh, the goddess of uh, prosperity, and she was a big deal. In fact, Artemis or Diana, the Romans called her Diana, was the most highly respected goddess of the Greek and Roman worlds. I mean, she was held in high esteem. You don't mess with her. You never say anything bad about her. Okay, you with me so far? So the principal deity of Ephesus, she was, and really of the entire Mediterranean region at the time. And, and Artemis was believed to be incredibly powerful. She can bless your crops. She can uh, bless your business. She can bless you with children. She can give you prosperity. Or she can hunt you down and kill you. All right? So, you know, Artemis took her seriously. Her, she had some names they, they gave to her. She's the first among all the thrones. She's Savior, Lord, Queen of the world, Heavenly Goddess, the Great Mother, Magna Ma. She was the Mother Goddess. Uh, and you wanted to keep her happy. You know why? Because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? All right, she's the goddess of fertility. And the statues of Artemis or Diana, which I would like to show you, but I'm not going to because this is a family church, but they were, uh, they, she had a, a, a zodiac as a necklace because she kept in touch and was in control of the stars, which controlled your destinies. Uh, she had these, in her skirt, she had these weird creatures that were kind of submitting to her and su surrendering to her. And then on her chest were rows and rows of breasts, which symbolized her fertility and the life and the nourishment she gave to everyone. So she was the 
most highly respected, revered, worshipped, and feared God in Ephesus. And this person named Demetrius, a silversmith, is making silver shrines of her, which everybody wants, the little statuettes, the little miniature models of her temple. And it provided a lot of business. A lot of money was at stake. The temple was a big deal as well. You heard a little bit about that already, but it was not only the worship center for Artemis, it was a financial center. It was basically the bank. It was a treasury for jewels and all sorts of stuff. Uh, the revenues from the temple basically paved the roads and took care of everything that was happening in the city. It was an incredible tourist def- destination for people all over the world. Uh, the, the temple owned 77,000 acres of farmland, which kept everything running and rolling in the temple and just fed this whole temple complex. Uh, It was a rental office. It was a fishing customs office. Uh, It was four times the size of the Parthenon that we saw in Athens. Wow, it was huge. And so Demetrius is the leader of the pack of the people, the silversmiths, who are selling this stuff. And he got everybody together And he says, when he assembled them, the leader of the craftsmen, he assembled all the craftsmen together, as well as the workers engaged in this type of business. So everybody's together, all the business leaders, all the people that are selling this stuff and are making bank on this. He said, men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business. I mean, this is the way we make our livelihood. This is what keeps us afloat. And it employs a whole lot of people. We make a good income. This guy is now going to stir up the people, okay? And he's got a problem. He says, for you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this man Paul, not a friend, this man Paul has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that the gods made by hand, that's us, are not gods, The gods that we make by our hands, they're not gods. He's denying this. And and so he's saying, guys, this is a problem. Actually, he was accurate in in what he said there because Paul did say, no, there's only one God. And God in heaven is not made by human hands. He had said this in every place he went. So he did deny this, but he didn't do it in an obnoxious way. He just presented an alternative. But The problem was a lot of people were believing Paul. They were believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were believing in a God, one God, who made the heaven and the earth, who loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for us, to take our place, and then to be raised from the dead and to reign in love and goodness and holiness. That's the God they were turning to and believing in, in faith and repentance. And and people were coming by the droves all over the place. And guess what happened? Business for our little shrines and souvenirs and votive offerings, they're way down. We got a problem here. And verse 27, not only do we run a risk that our business may be discredited, people are gonna say this is not a good business, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised and her magnificence may come to the verge of ruin, the very one all of Asia and the world worship. So he, he is really, this is really about money. This is really about our businesses down and this Paul guy's getting everybody not to believe in Artemis anymore. But he, 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 he's careful to couch it in other terms now. 
Uh, it's not just about the money. It's that our whole trade could be discredited, like we're up to no good. Uh, and Artemis could be uh, dishonored, which Artemis was huge and important, so we don't want that to happen. And that her magnificence could come to the verge of ruin. It's amazing how much power the gospel has. Um, that this guy was really rattled by this because it was influencing people's hearts. So he makes all sorts of appeals to economics, to their emotions, to their patriotism, their civic pride about Artemis, to the numbers of people that have been uh, affected by this and how the numbers, uh, financial numbers are way down, and to their own religious zeal for the great Artemis of the Ephesians. And verse 28, when they had heard this, when they heard Demetrius, the rabble-rouser, give them this, they are up in arms. When they had heard this, they were filled with rage and began to cry out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Kept saying it over and over again because Artemis and Diana, or that's her other name, was a big deal. And they're really ticked off about this because their business is down and because this guy's upsetting everything. So then at verse 29, so the city was filled with confusion and they rushed all together in the amphitheater. Not just, not just the silversmiths, but now the whole city gets involved. Uh, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were traveling, Paul's traveling companions. So these guys were co-workers. So the whole city goes into an uproar. The silversmiths have this meeting. They fire everybody up. They're, they're out of control. The whole city hears about this. And you're saying, how could that happen? And they ended up at the amphitheater. Okay, so check out some of this kind of uh, footage of the amphitheater. They all rush into this amphitheater and, and, and begin to fill it. Crowds are running through the streets. Here's one reason that can happen so rapidly. Because in the ancient world, cities were really, really tightly compacted and uh, so the density of a place like Ephesus was about 200 people per acre. So that means just on like our Valley Church campus, community center campus, there would be 10,000 people living here. So you can see how quickly that can spread. They all get fired up because somebody is against Artemis and she's the big deal. I mean, she's the temple all over the world she's known and this is our whole thing. So they're super uh, upset about this and they did not, most of these folks, did, people did not evaluate the Christian message. Um, and it's true that people often reject the gospel and the truth, not because of the idea itself, because, but because of what changes it will demand in their lives. And this situation, it would demand that they stop worshiping Artemis, give up that business of selling these um, statues of her and such and the temple. And so it breaks into this furious riot. The people are up in arms, this mass hysteria. That, that amphitheater seats 25,000 people. Imagine the scenes, the scene that was happening. I mean, it was, it was just absolute craziness, chaos. <sighs> Count on, there's going to be chaos. But here's the second principle. Get perspective in the chaos. Yeah, sometimes, guys, so many things happening and swirling about that are, are not based on faith in Jesus that are just about this world and what this world pursues. And we need to get perspective. We need to take a deep breath, remain calm, look to God, and also look to one another and, and to seek out really good wisdom. Look what happens in verse 30. So they've basically kidnapped Paul's uh, 
co-workers, they drag them to the amphitheater in front of this angry mob, thousands of people there. And it says in verse 30, although Paul wanted to go in before the people, the disciples did not let him. So Paul, that, that statement is amazing to me, guys. Paul wanted to go in before the people. He says, hey, here's a great chance to talk. You know, Paul, he had such compassion on people who were lost. And this was his mission. And he saw in his zeal and his eagerness to make an impact and in his incredible optimism and faith in God, he says, this isn't a riot. This is like an evangelistic gathering. It's an opportunity for me. I'll quiet the crowd down and I can share Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing? He had this invincible sense um, that God was going to protect him no matter what. But his friends said, no, we're not going to let you do that. In fact, uh, it goes on to say, even some of the provincial officials of Asia, these people aren't even necessarily believers in Christ, but they're leaders who had given a sympathetic ear to Paul and were actually uh, helping him. Uh, they were his friends. And they sent word to him, pleading with him not to venture into the amphitheater. Don't go there, Paul. Think this through. Not a good idea. That's an angry mob. That's not, you know, a typical lecture in the, uh, in the lecture hall of Tyrannus like you've done for two years. This is a different deal. So they basically, he listened to them, and even though he really wanted to, he decided not to go in, which probably saved his life. The point of all of this is, in the words of the great theologian Kenny Rogers, you got to know when to hold them, when to fold them, you know, when to walk away, when to run. And so at this point, it, you don't go in there. It's time to just hold steady. Guys, in the chaos in your life and in the chaos in my life, which we all have, we need each other. We need the presence of God. We need the word of God. And we need one another to help us sort through what's the best next step. And some guys, especially in the chaos, it's just one day at a time, even sometimes one hour at a time. And it's a moment. This could have ended Paul's life. But he listened. He was respectful. Even though he really wanted to go there, he said, okay, this is, this is good. Um, this is good wisdom. And so he held off. And we need those friends in our lives. And I hope that you are surrounding yourselves with uh, with. Um, with some great people in your life that you highly respect, who follow Jesus, who love Jesus, and who want the best for you. So we, we have to weigh out what they say sometimes, and we're going to make our own decisions about that, guys. But I want to encourage you, surround yourself. Because in the chaos, it's easy for us to get confused or to lose our cool. But when we have good, godly friends around us, in our life groups, in our small groups, in our Bible studies, the people that we have walked with, with Jesus and trust, they help us gain perspective. Look at this in the bigger picture. Yep. I really want to encourage you with that. Get perspective in the chaos. Third principle is this. Don't be overwhelmed by the chaos. Don't be caught up in the chaos. Don't be uh, washed over by the chaos. Don't be overwhelmed by it. Uh, God's still in charge. He's still in the throne. No matter what you're going through right now, he's still in control. Okay? So, but it doesn't look like it because look at verse 32. It says they're all in this giant amphitheater, thousands. Some were shouting one thing and some another. Everybody's shouting. 
is this sound like our world today? Some shouting one thing, some another thing. Yeah, everybody's shouting at each other. Everybody's out of control. Culture losing its cool. Nobody's listening. Because the assembly was in confusion. Nobody knows Jesus in this assembly. Interesting, the word assembly here, we have another word for that. It's often translated in the New Testament, church. The church is an assembly. It's a gathering of God's people. But it's also used in a less uh, Christian thing to just describe a group of people gathering together. And that's what was happening. It's a, if a, a different type of church, right? I mean, it's a church. They worship Artemis. They're all about Artemis, the goddess. And the church is in session. That church is anyway. And they're all in confusion. They have no idea where they're going. They have no idea what to believe. Uh, they, they're just absolutely just in hysteria. Okay? And most of them did not know why they had come together. <laughs> wow. What a statement. Most people don't even know why they're here. They're just shouting like everybody else in the middle of confusion. If this isn't a description of sometimes in our chaotic culture, what is? I mean, shouting this, shouting that, one thing and then the other, most people don't even know what's going on. But they're there. And they're part of the chaos. So there's... Uh, more people in this crowd. Verse 33, some Jews in the crowd. So there are some Jewish folks from Jewish background who don't believe in Artemis, but they see what's going down. And what they're afraid of is this group of Artemis worshipers are gonna get hostile and go anti-Semitic on them. And so they wanna distance themselves from Paul, who is Jewish, and from some of his colleagues who are Jewish. They don't want them to mix Christianity, the Christian faith, which was still coming out of a Jewish background, with their Jewish faith. And so they're going to try to differentiate. Some Jews in the crowd gave instructions to Alexander after they pushed him to the front. So they pushed some leader, a guy named Alexander, who is obviously a Jewish man, and they say, here's what to say. Calm the crowd down. Tell them we're not with them. Motioning with his hand, Alexander wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, they just shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Can you imagine a stadium just rocking with this? They didn't want to hear from Alexander or any Jewish people, so he's just out. Nothing, the crowd is just out of control. And at that moment, it would have been so easy to, to, to get overwhelmed, to join the chaos of the culture, or to make matters worse and just fire up the the, the people even more, which was what happened here. They actually unintentionally led, uh, uh, gave fuel to the fire that had already been going. It just added to the hysteria. And they are just chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. It's such an intimidating moment, guys. What's happening here is they're just chanting for two hours. And by the way, this, this is recorded. This sort of stuff happened not frequently, but it did happen in the ancient world where they just fill big places and they just get into these chants for hours on end. And it's like, we will, we will rock you. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Boom, boom, boo, right? That's what's going on. And I mean, what an intimidating moment. But my encouragement to you is God's still in control. 
Don't get swept up in the chaos. Don't get overwhelmed by the chaos. Remain calm. Don't make it worse. Don't add to the hysteria. Keep your cool. Keep your cool. God's still in control. And sometimes just staying calm is the best thing. Principle number four, last one today. Trust God in the chaos. Trust God in the chaos. So of all people, a non-Christian man steps up and it says, verse 35, when the city clerk had calmed the crowd down, he finally, he was basically the mayor of the town. This is, uh, it, it, city clerk is not some guy that just works, you know, rubber stamping. I mean, he, he's an important office in Ephesus. It's probably the, close to what we would call the mayor of the city. Everybody knows this guy. And he's calming everybody down. It took him a while. He waited until they kind of exhausted their energies. And he said, people of Ephesus, his voice now in the huge crowded amphitheater is heard. And he begins to reason with them and talk to them. He's not Christian. He says, what person is there who doesn't know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great Artemis? I mean, everybody knows our reputation. Are you afraid of one guy who comes with a different perspective? Who doesn't know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great Artemis? We're a huge movement, okay? And of the image that fell from heaven. The legend had it that her image actually fell directly from heaven. It may be related to some meteorite that hit. They may have even had the meteorite and kind of added it to the temple. I don't know. We don't exactly know. But they say the image of Artemis, Diana, fell from heaven. And he says, everybody knows that. Everybody in this whole area, this whole Mediterranean world knows that. We're famous for that. It's this one guy. Therefore, since these things are undeniable, you must keep calm and not do anything rash. Think about this. He calms the crowd down. Not a believer. For you have brought these men here, the two colleagues of Paul, Gaius and Aristarchus, and said, they're not temple robbers. They didn't break into the temple and rob the bank. They didn't take away the statues, the shrines, the gold, the jewelry. They didn't do any of that. They're not even accused of that. And they are not blasphemers of our goddess. This is an important one to make, guys. Because yes, yes, believers in Jesus uh, stood their ground. They proclaimed Jesus without apology. They were unashamed of the gospel. But they didn't blaspheme the other people and their faith. They didn't rile them up or use insulting, derogatory, nasty language about them. Drag their, th them through the dirt. They took the high road and didn't take the low road where they just said all, all sorts of insulting things about Artemis. They didn't make jokes about Artemis. They just were for Jesus and preached Jesus. And they made their distinctions, but they did so, as Peter says, with gentleness and respect. These guys aren't robbers. They're not nasty blasphemers of our goddess. They just have some different angles and beliefs on this. So then he says, verse 38, So if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a case against anyone, 
The courts are in session and they're proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. I love this because the mayor basically calls out Demetrius and he says, all this terrible conflict and riot is, is because of you. You riled up this crowd. He calls him out and says, you know, this isn't a matter of, of public. This is, if they've done something illegal and, and affected your business is some financial deal, go to the courts. That's what we have a government. Go there. They're open. Okay, great. But then he says in verse 39, but if you seek anything further, it must be decided in a legal assembly. You got to do this in some kind of normal way, not in some kind of out of craziness fashion. In verse 40, in fact, we run a risk of being charged with rioting for what happened today. And that was a great concern for the Ephesians. Why? Because they're a Roman city and the Romans oversee what's happening there. And if they see a city out of control that they've given them certain freedoms and so forth, and then they get out of control, they're going to withdraw those freedoms, come in and say, okay, we're going to bring that Roman army hammer down. So he says, we don't want to go there, guys. We don't want to get the Romans upset with us. Let's do this in a normal civil fashion. We run a risk of being charged with rioting for what happened today, since there is no justification that we can give as a reason for this disturbance. So he says this whole thing about opposing these people who are followers of the way, this whole major disturbance, there's absolutely no reason for it. So of all things in this situation, God brought a non-Christian man to their defense. And this tells me that sometimes, guys, there's just all sorts of different people that God can use in your neighborhood, in your family, uh, in, 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 in your workplace, that you might not even be expecting, but they can help you out. And they may be from this situation or this belief or this system or this political uh, position or, or this background, but God can still use them because he's still in control. And he's got your back. So trust God in the process. God moves in very unexpected ways in this circumstance. And for some reason, it was such a big deal that Luke, the writer of Acts, chose to include it. We don't need any more chanting. The whole world knows that he says to them, um, we don't need to do this. Go home. Um, and there's some clues for interacting with our culture here. Don't blaspheme other people's beliefs. You can, you know, embrace the people, but offer an alternative. Um, and don't resort to unethical steps. Maintain your integrity. So let me ask you a few questions as we kind of wrap this up. Are you ever feel the pull of just adopting the mindset of the cultural chaos? Can I encourage you to keep your head on straight? Uh, I want to encourage you. Do you just take on and puppet whatever your favorite podcast or news cycle or whatever, instead of keeping the main thing, the main thing, and that's Jesus and the gospel? What are you steeping in these days? What are, what are you taking into your heart, your mind, your ears, your mind, your eyes? And how can we positively and calmly re react when the culture goes against you and me because of our faith? It's easy to get to panic, to get angry, or to grow weary in the chaos, but God calls us walk in the way in the chaos. And in the end, verse 41, after saying this, the mayor of the town dismissed the assembly, the church, that church, the church of Artemis. He says, go home. This church, this assembly, 
is over. The good news is the way of Jesus, the church of Jesus, the assembly of Jesus marches forward. That church is never over. That does not mean that the sermon is going to go on forever. It means that the church of Jesus will be triumphant. And what if you and everybody at Valley Church were like this church in Ephesus? And I think we are. The church, let me just say this, the church was missional. The church was on mission for the gospel for Jesus. What is our mission? What is your mission in life? Maybe recalibrate that and say, let's come back to our mission. And if you're in that chaos, this church was also pro-Jesus, not anti-everything else. They had their disagreements. They definitely took a stand. But they were no more for what they were for, that is Jesus and the gospel, than what they were against. Guys, let me tell you, everything that the temple of Artemis of the Ephesians stood for was anti-Christian. It was evil, it was wrong, it was terrible, but they didn't blaspheme that. Instead, they positively presented the gospel because truth overcomes falsehood. It pushes out the darkness when the light comes on. And what if we loved people who disagreed with us and lived and presented Jesus and embraced people and offered them an alternative, Jesus Christ? Everybody wants love. Everybody wants peace. Everybody wants kindness. And Jesus is the way in that chaos. Christianity is about a movement. It's not about moments. It's not a, just about the times when we get, gather together or in our life groups, although those feed and are incredibly important. But these moments together are catapults to leverage the movement of God in the workplace, in our community, and in our world. So go get them, team. And ultimately, the church is about life change that changes others' lives. It's about us being transformed with the calm, the peace, the good news, the love of Jesus, and then seeing life transformation through others because of Jesus Christ. On that day, the loudest voices were, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. But the voice that echoes from 2,000 years ago is not the voice of that crowd. It is the voice of Jesus who says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is the way in the chaos. Father in heaven, take this message and pour it supernaturally into our hearts so that every person who hears it will trust in you, look to you, either for the first time or for a renewed next time so that they can take whatever chaos is going on in their life, recalibrate, and find you the way in the chaos. And all God's people agreed and said, Amen. God bless you all.